Well, good morning. Uh, Bill and Bonnie are in uh, Oklahoma. I guess they decided that the weather in Illinois wasn't quite crazy enough for them, so they just figured they were going to go there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting uh, what Tom decided to focus on for uh, his communion and offering meditation because a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is what do we have to offer God? Um, you know, it, it is Palm Sunday, and uh, we're going to look at that story in Mark chapter 11 uh, where Jesus entered Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, as he prepared to fulfill God's plan to bring it all to uh, a head by dying on the cross, we're going to look at that uh, entry into Jerusalem uh, and get a couple different lessons from that story. And in particular, um, a little bit from a very small detail um, in the story. So, Uh, Mark 11, starting in verse 1, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So the first thing that I want to point out isn't the first thing that happened, but I I want to uh, focus initially on, on the reaction of the people as Jesus enters the city. Uh, they're shouting Hosanna, so it's, it's a Hebrew expression that means save, save us. And, and just kind of a, like Tom said, an expression of praise, an expression of adoration. Like we are excited that you are here, Hosanna, it is wonderful that you're here because, well, he's Jesus and he should be praised, right? And they were excited because they thought this is, this is the king, he is coming to save us, he is coming in the name of the Lord and everything is going to be great. Laying down their cloaks, laying down those, those palm branches that have been cut in the fields. He was received as he should have been, like a king coming to save his people. Because that's exactly what he was doing, even if it wasn't going to happen the way that they expected they, they were right about what was going on. They were wrong about how he would go about doing so. And the, the next time that there's a large crowd gathered, they're all shouting something about Jesus. But what is it? Crucify him. They're, they're shouting for them to free Barabbas and kill Jesus. It's just a matter of days. right? It's just a few days between... Here is our king who is going to save us and kill this guy. I don't think I could lose you that quick, but, you know, maybe. I don't know. Um, But in a matter of days, the crowd is completely turned against him. They're, They're stirred up by the false accusations made by the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. 
They were right that Jesus was the king coming to save them. But as soon as they heard a message that, that they liked more, that they believed more, or, or that they didn't like about him, they turned on him. It just took a little bit. The crowd isn't always right. The crowd is often wrong. We, we can see in our culture especially that, especially when it comes to matters of faith and morality and biblical living, the crowd is quite often wrong. Wide is the road that leads to hell and destruction, right? It's easy to do that. Much harder to follow Jesus. The crowd received Jesus properly the first time. But their faith and their belief wasn't quite strong enough to maintain that same conviction. And instead, they were crying for his execution days later. It's easy to declare your love for Jesus here in the church. It's easy to live for him when we are surrounded by other believers. When everyone else is crying out the same things, Hosanna. But once we're questioned, once our faith is tested, once the storms come, literal and metaphorical, it becomes a little bit harder. It becomes more difficult and it's easy to get caught up in an emotional moment when it comes to our faith. But it's harder to build a foundation of faith that won't be shaken. We can't let ourselves get swept up in the crowd. In Acts 17, uh, Paul and Silas, they are, they are teaching the gospel to this crowd of people. And he says, uh, <clears throat> Paul says, or sorry, Luke says about it. We need to be like the Bereans who they, they received the message. And then they went and they searched the scriptures to figure out, well, is what Paul is saying really the truth? We need to compare what we are hearing to the scriptures, the one source of truth that we know will never lead us astray. You know, Bill and I and, and Larry and the guys who come up and do communion meditations and uh, our, our song leaders and everybody, we're, we're going to make sure that everything that we do is presenting the truth of scripture the best that we can, but we're not perfect. There will be times when we misspeak or uh, there's something that we have misunderstood and, and, and maybe we might lead leads down the wrong path but we can guard against that by the church saying whoa i looked at the scriptures andy and are you sure it means that because i think it means this and we might need some correction at times and we might need to help each other understand that I, i'm not just going you know in the wrong direction following a crowd that may be leading the wrong way no we need to be following the scriptures we need to test and see well, what is it? What is the true message uh, of Jesus? You know, we don't want to... We don't want to lose sight of the truth in order to make people feel good. We, we don't want to skip out on the harsh teachings of Jesus in favor of an easier life. We don't want to just go with the crowd that's saying, well, you can forget about that part of the Bible. That, 
he didn't really mean that. Well, no, <laughs> if it's there, that's what it is. We, we don't want to pick a, a tiny sliver of Scripture and, and leave out the context, leave out the details. Right? I, I gave the communion meditation last week and I talked about how a lot of people, they want to really latch on to Romans 3.23 where it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, sometimes people want to use that as, well, we've all sinned, so you can't say anything about my sin. <laughs> like, well, yes, but the next verse also says we are justified freely by His grace. Right? We, we still need that justification uh, we still need the grace of God to save us from that sin, to change us. You know, crowds of people will flock to so-called pastors who water down the truth, who ignore the parts of the Bible that are difficult, who boil it down into maybe a feel-good pep talk just kind of decorated with Scripture. But we want to challenge ourselves with how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to act? You know, Jesus says to the woman uh, caught in adultery, she says, neither do I condemn you. After the men have left, they've dropped their stones and, and walked away. And some will say, well, you know, Jesus didn't condemn her. Like, yes. But read what comes after. He also says... Go and sin no more. God doesn't just wash away our sin. We, you know, we, yes, we can keep coming back to Him and He will forgive us over and over. But He also challenges us go and sin no more. Go and be changed. Go and, and live for me. And sometimes the crowd in this world treats Jesus as kind of a one time stop in their life. Well, I, I gave my life to Christ, I was baptized. Uh, I, I made the decision to follow him, and then I went on living my life. And God is, God is bigger and able to do things that I can't even possibly imagine. And yeah, he can probably save them too, even those that don't truly follow him. But I read scripture, and there's a lot more to it than just a one-time thing, right? Uh, that crowd, at one time did what they should have done. But then they were swayed by another opinion. So we have to see for ourselves what is true and then choose our course of action. Because it's likely, in my opinion, that the crowd, when Jesus entered Jerusalem and the crowd calling for his crucifixion, probably had some overlap. I imagine it was some of the same people, maybe not all of them, but there were probably some of the same people. And that attitude, that tone is just wildly different because Jesus was trying to change how they thought and acted and they didn't like it. But if Jesus is telling me to do something and I don't want to do it, I still need to do it. So don't just go with the crowd unless you know that that crowd is following Jesus. And if they're not, run, don't walk in the other direction. So back to Mark's account for, for the bulk of our message here. Um, kind of like I said, going along with what Tom said. Uh, it can, it's a small detail, right? But, but I think it can provide us with some great encouragement. 
And he tells two of the disciples, Jesus does, go get me a colt that's tied up. And if anybody asks you any questions, gives you any problems, just say, the Lord needs it. Verses 4 and 6, they, they go and they do just that. And the, the people there, come when they come to get the colt, they're like, hey, hey, what are you doing? The Lord needs it. Oh, okay, no problem, right? They, they just give it, no questions asked. Um, they, they take the colt just as Jesus said. Now, a lot of times I've read that, I've skimmed right over it. Yep, that's just part of Jesus' plan. Um, you know, Matthew 21 records the same thing. Luke 19, uh, with a little bit more detail, Luke mentions it's not just some people ask them, it's the owners that ask them. Um, we don't know their names. We don't know their connection. They lived in Jerusalem. They had a cult. That's about everything that we know, and they let Jesus take it, or his disciples take it. It's just there. In Matthew 26, verses 17 through 19, another part of uh, the same week, Matthew records this. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. They're, they're looking for somewhere to eat the Passover meal. Jesus says, oh yeah, just go to this guy's house. Tell him here's the plan and get everything ready. Now look, if someone comes to my house, walks in the back door, grabs my car keys off the thing where we hang them there just inside the door and says, hey, I need your car. It'll be back later. I don't know how okay I'm going to be with that. Um, now, if, if it's someone I know really well, maybe, yeah, fine. Um, I might trust them. If it's one of my youth group students, probably not. Sorry, don't care how much I love you guys. Um, not going to let you do that. That's not a great idea, right? It, it's not exactly a perfect analog for, for what Jesus is doing there with the donkey. You know, Jesus is literally going to ride him right back into town, but... Similar enough, right? And, and, and if you come up to me after church next week and say, Hey, Andy, we're going to have our Easter lunch at your house this afternoon. Please don't do that. <laughs> Whitney would probably drop dead on the spot. Just She'd have a heart attack. She'd be worried. Um, I can't have that, right? We don't, we don't just do that. We don't invite ourselves usually. Uh, to places we don't insert ourselves into other people's lives like that it's it's unusual it's it's strange and maybe there are some cultural differences from the time and everything uh, obviously but there's that attitude of the one with the house and the one with the donkey I just say you know what this is this is what I have if the Lord needs it he can have it. I'll, I'll give what I have for the Lord to use. There, there are some commentators of, on the Bible, um, people much smarter than I am, uh, who say that, you know, Jesus may have arranged for all this in advance and that, you know, the words the Lord needs it might be kind of like a password, so to speak. You know, Jesus maybe talked to these guys in advance and said, hey, I'm going to send a couple of my guys, and you'll know it's my guys when they say, the Lord needs it. 
Um, but even still, they were willing to give what they had for the Lord's sake. And that idea exists throughout Jesus' time on earth. There, there are so many opportunities where someone essentially just asks, what, what can I give for the Lord to use? In Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000. In Mark chapter 8, he feeds 4,000. Both times, it's someone's lunch that he takes and he blesses and he multiplies. And there are baskets and baskets full of leftovers. He did that using the food given by someone who was there and was willing to share what they had. Simon of Cyrene, in Mark 15, Mark says, Simon was there and he carried the cross. Mary anointed Jesus with a jar of perfume that was probably, given its value, passed along as a family heirloom. That's in John chapter 12. In Mark 2 and in Luke 19, Jesus eats with sinners at Levi's house and with Zacchaeus. He did all sorts of things where you find that it takes the generosity of others to accomplish what Jesus needed. Jesus didn't just force his way into their lives. They were willing um, to be used by him, to, to give what they had over and over in Scripture. People are willing to give what they have to serve the Lord. And one of the most important things that I think we can do as followers of Christ is be willing to use whatever we have to serve the Lord. Sometimes it's sharing a meal in our home. I know that uh, a large part of me coming to know Christ was the family that I was going to church with. I saw the love of Jesus because they welcomed me into their home week after week after week and, and just loved me. Shared meals with them on, on so many occasions and just got to saw the love of Jesus in action in their lives. Maybe it's using our, our gifts, our talents, our abilities to do whatever, right? Uh, maybe it's an encouraging word. Uh, in second service last week, Chad Hill uh, got up and he joined the church and he said that the biggest reason that he was doing it is the people here had shown him the love of Christ repeatedly. They had always made him feel welcome. He always felt like he belonged here. And he said, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to bring my family uh, to worship. That, that's something that we can all do to, to serve the Lord. Not, not everyone can preach. Not everyone uh, can lead worship. Not everyone uh, is going to be able to give a communion meditation. Not everyone can work with the children uh, or the teenagers. Not everyone's going to teach a Sunday school class. But everyone can do something. Everyone has a gift to use. You can, you can comfort someone. You can write a card. You can say a prayer. You can give a ride. You can teach a lesson. You can hold a baby, change a diaper. There, there's so many more things. That's just you know all the ones I could fit on one slide off the top of my head. What can I do? And the answer is going to be different for everyone, but there's always going to be an answer for everyone. John 13, 35, Jesus says, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How can we show our love for Jesus? How can we show our love uh, for each other? My daughter Kennedy is four. Um, 
And when someone's sad or upset in our house, she'll go and grab a stuffed animal and hand it to them. Because for her, that's comfort. It makes her feel better to hug her stuffed animals. And she thinks, well, mom's upset. I'm going to go get her a stuffed animal. Maybe she'll feel better. Or she'll, she'll give us a hug or she'll rub our back. You know someone who's struggling? Someone who's having a tough time in life? Maybe they don't need a stuffed animal. But maybe you could find a way to comfort them. Can you ease someone's burden by letting them know, hey, our food pantry is open Tuesdays and Fridays from 9 to 11. You can come get some food. Can you make their life a little easier by giving them a ride somewhere? Can you send them a card? Can you pray? Can you hold their baby? Can you change a diaper? Can you smile and say good morning and make someone just a little bit happier when they walk into church? Can you encourage and support your coworkers? Can you cook a meal for someone who's hungry? Can you do something to show people that you love them, that you care for them? Maybe you can't do all of those things. But ask yourself, what can I do? The Christian life isn't meant to be passive. We, we shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines watching the world pass us by and just saying, it's just going, it's going crazy all around me. There's nothing I can do. By showing the love of Christ in everything that we do, we open the door for others to get to know Jesus through us. We establish that level of credibility because they can see Jesus in us. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about separating the sheep from the goats. When, when the Son of Man comes again, and it comes down to, what, just a few things. What did you do for the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the strangers, the naked, the prisoners? How did you meet the needs of the needy? There are active and passive ways to do things like that. You can actively serve at our food pantry, or you can give to the food pantry and, and all the different ministries uh, that we have going on. You can go to our missions and you can serve alongside them, or you can give to our missions. You can go and meet with somebody, or you can pray for somebody in the comfort uh, of your own home or send them a card or whatever it needs. Our, our church is generous in so many different ways. And, and what I have found in my own life is that the more sacrificially I give, the more God blesses me. Not just materially, but in ways that I never knew that I would be blessed. I imagine the same will be true for you. The more that you give, the more you sacrifice for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of others, the more he will bless you. Maybe not necessarily materially on this earth, but we know the promises that he has for heaven. James says that the religion God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows. How can we do that? I, I don't have all the answers. I have some ideas here and there of, hey, maybe this would be cool to do. And I'm sure that there are lots of you that have, oh, well, we could do this and we could try that. And a lot of times we get kind of stuck in, well, we come up with all these ideas, but then we don't do anything. 
But we need to take action. We need to do something. Maybe we give up a donkey for someone to ride. Whatever that looks like nowadays. Maybe it's a room in your house. A few loaves of bread, some fish, or maybe just your shoulders to carry the load. I don't know what it is that God wants you to do. But I promise that he's given you something to do. Right? We have the opportunity always to take action. Oh, man. And I had a Lego in my pocket earlier, and I don't know what I did with it. Hey, there's, there's boxes of Legos back, or baskets full of Legos back there. Steve's holding one up. Um, they're in baskets on the stools there. And one little piece, one little Lego on its own, not much, right? But it can be a part of something that's bigger. It can be a part of something uh, that is greater. If we all do a little, we can accomplish a lot together for the kingdom. And so if you'd like, as you leave, as a little reminder of this, you can grab one of those Legos from the baskets and say, I can do something. Maybe it's small. Maybe it doesn't seem like much on the surface. But I can do something for the Lord. I have something to offer him. So right now we're going to have the chance to offer him some praise. Right? And and we're going to do what we can for the sake of Jesus because as the song is going to say Jesus is Lord of all. He's worthy of anything that we can offer him.